The official Sarasota temperature right now is 72. Well, okay, the one that I'm looking at says 69, so maybe it's, it's that's freaking cold, man. <laughs> that's cold. Come on. <laughs> what can I tell you? What can I tell you? Tomorrow's supposed to be 78. It's supposed to be 43 tonight. Yeah, it's going to get really cold. <laughs> Are you listening to me? What am I talking about? <laughs> <laughs> you, you, you've gone to the dark side. Well, God, now I got to go home in two weeks. This is just not right. This is. I'm just gonna. This is gonna be bad. It's gonna be really bad. Oh, are you still in Hidden River? I am still in Hidden River. Okay. I was gone he's, for a while. I went, I went to Dallas. Trust me. Trust me. He's still in Hidden River. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Afraid so. <laughs> it's the end of the big chill. It's Jeff Goldblum at the end of the big chill. <laughs> We've got, we had a meeting. I'm not going home. Um, I'm never leaving. <laughs> I'm never leaving. Claire. But it's just airplanes, so it's not, it's it's, not really no this is This is the best seat in the house. It's, it's got a runway in the front yard. <laughs> uh, this is not a drone story. This is not a drone story. This, this is, is like, this is this is this okay. is an aircraft. This is a human carrying aircraft story. Um, uh, the the uh, the uh, uh, member of uh, the UCAP Aircab, Jeff Ward, um, put this story on the list, um, and he doesn't put stories on the list very often, so this must be important. Um, the headline he added to it was uh, Jeb asked for it, and so here it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, this is uh, this is looks a little bit like a drone, except that it's big. It's a well, it's actually an octocopter because it's got it's actually got four pairs of coaxial propellers, rotors, uh, rotors. Oh, excuse oh, me. Oh, so they're co-located and counter-rotate. I don't know if they counter-rotate. I would imagine they counter-rotate, but let's see if we can look. It looks, it looks like they do. It does look it like looks- they do. Yeah, you can see the leading edges to them. Yeah. So, uh, um, so on four little booms that stick out um, in the four sort of compass directions from the cockpit, which looks very much like the uh, cockpit portion of a like a Robinson helicopter. Um, but no tail boom of any sort, just these four arms that go out with these these uh, uh, four pair of, uh, of rotors. And uh, this is a story from Engadget, the, uh, the uh, technology uh, blog or, or website. Passenger drones will begin flying over Dubai this summer. Welcome to the age of personal flying vehicles, it says. Which, by the way, the age of personal flying vehicles started like back in the... 30s or 40s, you know. Started in uh, 1903. Uh, personal flying vehicles started in 1903. Exactly. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. Um, but uh, I think part of the idea here is that this will be a, uh, uh, a self-flying, a self, self, you know, autonomous aircraft that people yeah, just that's get the in word. and uh, and and say, "Take me to wherever." All right, and and it will lift off and and take them there. I feel safer already. I know, yeah. So, uh, all kidding aside, uh, I don't know. Would you? I'm not sure if I would ride in this. Would you? Well, it depends. What facility is there for pilot control? Okay. Well, that's definitely one question. That's not. That would not be my biggest concern. Um, my biggest concern is that I'm not prepared to ride in one of these things that is dependent on all four of the of the rotors running 100 percent of the time. Um, 
there needs to be a little bit more redundancy here. I like the ones, what was the one we saw last summer or, or last spring on the web? That yeah, had like like, 30, they had like 32 chainsaw engines yeah, or something? No, 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 not that one. It had electric <laughs> motors. It had like 16 rotors or maybe 32 rotors. It had a lot of rotors is the point. Yeah. And yeah. that one made me more comfortable because there's a lot of redundancy there. And assuming you've designed the, the systems right so that you know, there's no single point of failure, then losing one of the rotors or one of the electric motors um, you know, would, would you know, the, the, the aircraft would still have enough power to make it to the ground safely. Um, uh, many engineers would tell you that if you're going to have um, 32 of something, squeezing that down to four or eight is not a bad idea because the more things you have, the more if you have 32 of them, you have 32 more chances for a failure. Well, that's yeah. true, but it, it, but since there's 32 of them, losing one isn't that big a deal. That's true. All right, you know. That's true. That's that's that's, 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 individual power. I would maybe, yeah, I would maybe submit that the failure rate of an electric motor um, in associated wiring is not that great. Uh, I'm sorry, so you mean it's relatively safe or relatively dangerous? I I would say it's relatively, um, it's less risky. Less risky, okay. Maybe I don't know. I, I, you know, I mean, I, I don't trust machines that far. I want them to be. I want to. This is. Uh, yeah. It's interesting you say that because I've recently been thinking about um, some A and P mechanics that I know, and the more they know, the more <laughs> they learn about A and P mechanicing. Um, the less flying they do. Yeah. Well, that's, you know, I've spent my entire adult life working with personal computers, and I basically keep a sharp eye on them all the time because I, I, I know what's possible. Um, you know, and, and your, your thing about, you know, the more likely to, to fail, that's the old joke, if you will. Maybe it's not a joke about, uh, about twin-engine aircraft. You know, everyone thinks, you know, no, civilians no, 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 no. think that a twin-engine aircraft is, is twice as safe, and it, it may actually be twice as dangerous. You know, it's like... I, 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 I was going to say it's half as safe. Yeah. I, I've, told, I've told this joke before, I, I think. What's that? I've got, to, I've got to have told this joke before. The old joke is there's a guy who only flew on four passenger airplane on four engine airplanes. Yes. That's all that's all he flew on. If it didn't have four engines, he wasn't even gonna go. And someone asked him, and he was British of course. Um, someone asked him, he says, Well why is it you only fly on four engine airplanes? And the guy says, Well, my good man, of course. It's because there are no five engine airplanes. <laughs> He wants as many as well. That's kind of what I'm saying about the about the uh, these uh, you know uh, new new rotorcraft, new multicopters, human carrying multicopters. I want a lot of a lot of rotors and a lot of electric motors, um, as all as okay. independent as possible. And uh, okay. and uh, I just I wish I could remember the name of that one that had 16 or 24 or whatever it was. Uh, the volo volocopter. That's what it volo was. Volocopter. Okay. Well, let's let's see what the magic of the internet will tell us yeah. right now okay. about the volocopter. Oh, I'm not sure about this, but yeah, it wasn't it wasn't 32 uh, rotors, but it was okay. maybe, maybe 12? 12. Yeah, it was a bunch. Yeah, maybe 12 or 15 or not 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 15, yeah. but 16. So here we go. I can see I've got it on my screen, uh, but this is a really mediocre picture here. 
I mean, well, the article doesn't say how long it would take to recharge the battery so you could give the passenger a lift back to their starting point because it's only good for a half hour flight time uh, yeah. in a 31 mile range. And 260 pound person in a single small suitcase. Okay. It appears to be yeah. 15 rotors. Is it 15? Well, that's a funny okay. configuration here. It's a, yeah. But I'm sure there's a logic to it. Or maybe it's 18. Volocopter. Uh, the premier of manned flight with the world's first certifi certified multicopter, Evolo's Volocopter V200, marks the beginning of a new era in urban mobility. Boy, have we heard that one before. Yeah, I know, huh? Um, anyways, the Volocopter I like. I mean, assuming that they did all the right tests and, you know, and, uh, and, and you, know, you know, went through all the right routines, I, that would be a cool aircraft to fly, um, I think. And, and I'd feel relatively safe in it. But the four-bladed one, even if it's four, you know, dual-bladed, dual-rotored coaxials, I'm not so sure about that. Well, from the looks of it, it's got eight props and eight motors. Yeah. Which? Uh, this uh, E-Hang 184. Right, the, the, the one that, that Jeff Ward pointed out. Right, yeah. But, yeah. But there, it's eight motors, but on four axes, axles, axes. Axes. Right. axes. All right. And I just think that losing one of those is nearly as bad as losing... I, I will. Uh, if you're going to lose one of those extended arms, it's probably because you hit something. You know, I think you're going to have a whole buttload of other problems yeah, other, yeah. Than, other than a engine, mere engine failure. So, on the other hand, if an individual motor fails, it may be programmed to increase the output of the remaining motor on that same axis. Uh, yeah. Well, yeah, that would be good. But like Jeb says, <laughs> if there's a physical, um, you know, problem there. You're going to lose both rotors one way or the other. Uh, yeah, but if there's a physical problem, I think you've got a whole buttload of other problems right. to deal yeah. with. Oh, I see. Like, like substantial G-forces. Yeah. Uh, the, the, the thing that, 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 that kind of gives me most pause yeah. is that the passenger cabin is sitting right in the line of fire of the upper propeller blades. That's <laughs> a good point. That is that. So is, if, yeah. if for any strange reason one of those should let go... Uh, matter of fact, looks like both of them might be, but the upper one definitely is is headed for his chest or head, and mm -hmm. or maybe outbound. You know, you yeah. never know when one of these yeah. things breaks. But that's one of my criteria. Look like composite props, which are usually wood core uh, with composite overlays, and they're fairly durable, but they do not stand up well to hard objects. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah, that's one of my criteria when I'm selecting my seat on a Southwest flight, which for people who don't know, that's you get to choose your own seat as you board. And uh, one of the things I don't want to do is sit in the seat that's on the plane of any of, you know, what you can kind of picture as being one of the turbine blades. Um, so when the uncontained turbine failure happens, you know, I'm, so means, I'm not sitting you, in the seat that's going to get razor bladed. Um, all you got to do is... Pick the first seat row or farther back from the leading edge of the wing because the 737s, the engines stick way out ahead of the wing leading edge. Right, right, right. right. Yeah, so. Um, my, my, my favorite, of, of course, is the exit row seat, but. Yeah, but then you can't see. Yeah, you low wing guys don't care about looking down. See, I don't want to sit over the wing. I want to be able to see. I want to be able to see. 
Well, there's lots of lots of seats that sit over the wing, but exit seat, yeah. the exit row seat. Yeah. yeah, that 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 lets me be the first one out the door. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> Welcome, folks, to Uncontrolled Airspace, the General Aviation Podcast. I'm Jack Hodgson, coming to you still from still, still <laughs> from the Hidden River home. Here, we're, uh, I'm just having a blast and a good old time. Actually, I've been here and gone a couple times, but Judd, for some reason, still keeps welcoming me back, and I'm, I'm happy for that. Uh, you jumped out of the circle several times, and nobody noticed. Uh, no, I think he noticed. I think there was a big sigh of relief. I called, um, I called the hardware store to come change the lock, but they never showed up. So, <laughs> so I'm back, and uh, I'm on my last, uh, well, uh, last week here before I have to go back to, uh, to winter. Oh, we got, we got, you know, the bridge of size to finish. Before yeah, we got you, work to do here. There's plenty of things to, to do here, but uh, I am on the home stretch of my uh, uh, this year's visit to uh, to Hidden River, um, and that's kind of sad. But uh, anyways, uh, and I'm here talking to my two good friends. Uh, one of them is uh, is co-located here, and the other is not. The one that's not is uh, is coming to us from uh, with, uh, the the aviation capital of the no, what is it? The air capital of the world. Uh, Either one works. Wichita, Kansas. David Higdon. Hi, David. What are you doing? What's going on? Well, uh, I'm just about ready to break out the sunscreen because of the uh, unseasonably warm weather. I know, uh, huh? It's uh, mid-February when we're doing this. Um, what is the date today? It's the 16th of February. 16th, yeah. yeah. And uh, just to give you some we're two context. two days past the midpoint. Yeah. Just to give you some context, were I back at Lookout Point, uh, it snowed uh, another 10 inches or 8 or 10 inches uh, in the last 24 hours. That's on top of 22 inches about four days ago and on top of like a foot about a week before that. So How do people survive there? I, I'm not sure myself. I did it for many, many years before going to California. And ever since I've gone back from California, it's a puzzle to me. I've lost all understanding of it but uh but i am enjoying myself down here because i'm hanging out with uh, my other good friend here in our virtual hangar and that's from uh somewhere near sarasota florida jeb burnside hi jeb how you doing i'm doing good and uh yeah i'm, yeah. I'm sitting here in your kitchen drinking beer and uh you know uh-huh. enjoying the warm weather but how are you doing uh-huh. i'm good i'm a little store a little sore yeah. a little stiff in a couple of places been bending like I don't normally bend. I know. We spent the morning doing some home improvement projects here. Some some manual labor. Yeah. So uh, it's good exercise. It's yeah. You know, it's good for you. Get you all flexible and and something. I don't know. <laughs> Liberated. Yeah. That's right. Lo- loose. Yeah. 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 So, uh, what's going on? Your airplane. Do you want to tell me about your airplane? Tell us about what your about, airplane. What about it? Uh, it's, it's something. Minor, but something happened to your airplane. Oh, it's got a flat tire. It got a flat tire. Uh, I, which which airplane? That's a good question too. The it Debonair. The Debonair. The nose wheel. The nose wheel tire is flat. Um, that would be I, the, uh, the Debonair. Returned from. Uh, um, I was in Key West last weekend. Returned from Key uh, on the ramp at Key West. Everything was fine. Uh, flew it to Hidden River, landed Hidden River, taxied up to my hangar. I get out, and I took the, the tow to it. Nose wheel looks kind of low. Huh, that's interesting. Um, um, so I put it away. So well, you know, I'll check it in the morning. And uh, sure enough, it's flat as a pancake the following morning. Mm-hmm. I, put, I put air in it, and I can hear it, whisk, uh, I can hear it whistling out. I checked the, the, valve, the valve in the stem. 
and that's not the problem. So uh, it's, uh, it, yeah, I think all the truth be told, the tire and tube are fully depreciated. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you've had them for a while. Huh? I, they've been on the airplane a while, so I'm I'm actually rather fortunate that they decided to fail when they did in front of my hangar. Mm-hmm. So I, you know, I, I, these wheels that fascinate me, and I, I've mentioned it to you, Jeb, but that the way these are all airplane wheels like this, I guess, is what I'm getting to. The that the split, what do they call it? A split. Hole. All airplane wheel. Like I'm, I'm not going to say all airplane wheels. These are. Uh, Cleveland wheels and brakes um, of a very common um, uh, and uh, you know very common design. They've been in use for literally yeah. decades, because and I'm, they're I'm they're they're split. They're cast aluminum. They're split, and they bolt together. Um, uh, they're easily um, repairable, easily rebuildable, uh, easily uh, uh, you know stripped and refinished. Whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in fact, I may do that to this this nose wheel. Um, when I get it off and look at it and see what's going to be involved. Yeah. Um, so unlike uh, you know, automobile wheels where the, 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 the rim is one piece and, and there's some brute force involved in getting... Well, I, I hesitate to... You know, again, you want to use the word all, and I don't want to use the word all. I'm sure there are automotive rims out there that are split. Definitely oh. truck rims. Yeah. Are they? Oh, truck yeah. rims. I've seen... Okay, yeah. I think I have seen like... Yeah, okay. Yeah. All right. So well, the reason you get one-piece wheels on most automobiles and these days a lot of motorcycles is the tubeless tire. Right. Um, aircraft wheels in general, including my old Comanche Jeb's Debonair, his uh, uh, tailwheel airplane, they have tubes in them because that split rim makes it a little hard to hold air. Ah, uh, okay. I see. Oh, okay. Learn something new every day. That's kind of fascinating. So, yeah, uh, yeah so this is a, uh, a relatively easy, I mean, uh, easy, but, you know, repair. It's not a big it's, deal. It's, yeah, it's, it's, it's nothing. Uh, and it's a repair yeah. that, uh, that the owner is allowed to do? That's a good question. I haven't fully researched that. But I can do brakes and bearings under the appendix. So, yeah, I could probably do time. I, I believe that it is on the list. Yeah. I think that is on the list. Mm-hmm. Pretty interesting. Pretty interesting, yeah. actually. Uh, well, it is. I mean, and the other thing too is, um, uh, well, w- w- one other observation. Say the t- the tail wheel on the Champ, for example, is is uh, one piece. It's not right. That's it's basically not split. a skateboard yeah, wheel. It, of some sort yeah, of yeah. It's basically a skateboard wheel. Yeah, that's right. Um, so I mean, there's all kinds of wheels that can be on an airplane, depending on the airplane. Um, but uh, in this case, it's just a conventional Cleveland 500 by 5 uh, wheel without brakes. Mm-hmm. And um, it'll come right off. And uh, I've got the jacks. I've got the, the tail tie down. Uh, so I've got all the tools I need. It's just a matter of getting the parts, and the parts will be here uh, Saturday. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. And then you take it apart, you find whether the tube is patchable, you check the inside of the tire to make sure that there's no damage there, because if you could get some broken cord and make the tire less robust, and... Oh, I'm I'm replacing the tire and the tube. Oh, there you go. See, so, yeah, Um, it's not even a question. As I say, I think the the both of them are fully depreciated. and uh, so I, it's, it's not even a question. The real, the real question is, is the bearing okay? And I won't know that till I break it apart. 
Um, and I'm thinking about uh, just bead blasting it and refinishing the paint too. So while it's apart, so I don't know. We'll see. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And finding it flat in the hangar is it's just far it's just sweet. preferable it's just, to finding yeah. it flat when your nose touches down on landing. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, that would that would be not good. Right? Well, there there would be some excitement. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, I mean, I you know. How, how well, hairy the, does that get? I mean, is it... Uh, depends on the, the failure mode. Mm-hmm. The uh, way the... Depending on how the tire... Which side the tire moves to, because it doesn't just go straight down and then stay down. Right. It's going right. to shift to one side or the other. You can get some pretty robust uh, action back through the rudder pedals. It'll make you want to take your feet off the rudder pedals when you really would rather be putting on the brakes. Uh, it happened to us in the Comanche years ago. Uh, the uh, inner tube had a uh, had been installed improperly and folded over and mm-hmm. got a pinch, mm-hmm. and it was flown that way for three or four months without incident, without even having to put air in it until one leg from Wichita to Jeffersonville, Indiana, we had to go to uh, 13,000. And the pressure differential was sufficient for the uh, air to bleed out. And when the wheels came down and touched the tarmac on uh, runway 18 at uh, Clark County, uh, well, it was Lee Hamilton Airport, I think they call it now, Anyway, we found out real quick that something was wrong and got it off the first taxiway, barely. And it was getting, you know, left, right, left, right, left, right on the uh, rudder pedals. It was starting out really fast mm-hmm. and shaking like crazy, like he'd broken a prop. And uh, hit the first turn off on the stopped and radioed for them to bring a tug and a and a uh, dolly, mm-hmm. and they brought the dolly out, and we put the uh, nose wheel on the dolly and tugged it back to the shop. And after convincing the uh, somewhat elderly shop foreman that, no, we did not need to pull the cowling to fix a front <laughs> tire. <laughs> he wanted to see it vertically without having to, like, bend from the waist. So you just pull the cowling off. That way you can look through the engine compartment. <laughs> That's I walked, funny. I walked back there with the, you know, they gave me a lift on a tug, and I helped them uh, get the airplane in. I did one wing, you know, watched one wing while the shop foreman watched the other, and we got it in the into the hangar. And got it unhooked, and the tug left out the other door. And the guy says, well, you guys get some tools. The easiest way to change this is to take the cowl off and lift the nose off with the uh, engine, engine hook. Oh, oh okay. I see, what he, okay. I see what he's doing. What? Okay. Are, you, are you? I'm sorry. Stop. If that's what we're going to do, I'll ask the tug people to take me down to the other FBO. <laughs> well, you got a better idea? Yeah, you put that big weight that you got there on the tail hook. You put those two jacks under the jack points. Uh-huh. You jack it up, and by golly, the nose will come off the ground in just a few pumps. Uh-huh. Well, yeah, I guess you could do it that way. <laughs> I wonder, I don't know. See, I, I'm a the conspiracy theorist here. I, I wonder if he was going to get more billable hours if he took off the cowling. Oh, hell yeah. Okay, all right. 
that, that that was a very com- that's a very complicated cowl to remove with a lot of bolts and nuts and uh, a lot of them places that you can't reach rather easily. I helped take it off and put it back at multiple annuals, and I don't think with two of us working on it, we ever got it off in less than an hour uh-huh. and wow. less than 90 minutes to yeah. get it back on. And once you got your nose in, in the in the, uh, in the the engine space, Lord knows what kind of necessary repairs you might do. Oh, yeah. That's yeah. right. So. Well, we were, we were on our way in less than an hour because they had the right tube. There was no damage. Oh, that was the other thing. Now, throw that tire away and bring out one of those, uh, and I won't mention the brand, but it was, you know, the, the, the cheap crap that they put on uh, training aircraft because right. they're cheap and they wear out fast. And, and I got three fairly new Michelins on there. And I'm like, no, no. Well, it could be damaged. Yes, it could be. And we can check that. Do you Let's have to have any it. white gloves? Well, yeah, what do you need those for? Well, you run your hand around the inside of the tire. Mm-hmm. And if there's any broken cord, the white glove will snag it and you'll know. Oh, yeah, I guess you could do it that way. <laughs> well. there's, your t- there's your episode title. I guess you could do it that way. <laughs> but we had, we, that was the second FUBAR with them. And we had a third one about six months later where they weren't going to tell me that there was an avionics shop on the field to fix an intermittent transponder problem that I had. And on that trip, we were going on into uh, the D.C. area where you you squawk the full mode C with altitude or you don't get in. Well, are, you, are you at liberty to say which airport this was? Clark County uh, okay. in, in Juliet, Victor Yankee, JVY. Okay. Right. I won't mention which FBO, but it's because it may not have the same name. But in those days, it was known as HAPS. Okay. Clark County. Where, where is Clark County? Louisville. Jeffersonville, Indiana. Ah, uh, okay. Okay. It's about, if you find Louisville International uh, in their class Charlie on a uh, uh, sectional, and then look about 10 miles north of Louisville, you'll see uh, a fairly large uh, airport with uh, class you, D airspeed. And if you plot... A um, direct course from Hidden River to Oshkosh. It's JV- right on the JV- way. JVY will be smack dab on the magenta line about halfway. Yeah. Oh, well, that's convenient. There you go. Yeah, Jeb picked me up there uh, the last year. My high school class had a reunion. I drove out. I, that, I think that was 2011. I think it was. And uh, I drove out for the reunion. Jeb picked me up on his way up. Took him to dinner at a nice seafood restaurant, stayed yeah. at my buddy Tom's, and then we motored in to Oshkosh the next morning. So, And it's also almost dead on the route between Wichita and Leesburg, Virginia, where yeah. we'd fly into uh, to visit Annie's family. Uh, and a little more than halfway to D.C., so which made it nice. Geographical center of the United States of America. Well, yeah. only the geographical center the if you're starting parts. the United States at Wichita. Yeah, or right. the, the, the geographical center of, of Dave Higdon's America. And yours, apparently, yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. There you go. All right. Well, I'm, uh, so it's, a, it's an easy fix. We'll get the debonair back in the air. Yeah, oh, it's, not a, it's not a deal. Yeah. It's not a deal. Sounds good. You got a tube? That's coming with the tire. There you go. There you go. There you go. I, you know, when I say parts, I mean a tire and a tube. Um. 
yeah. which well, I didn't have. It, which if I didn't you have got everything stock. and don't need any trips to the hardware store, it shouldn't yeah. take you. But yeah, I've got cotter well, pins. You're going to strip it and paint it. I, I may. I may. It depends. Um, I want to. <sighs> want to see what. Don't have a spare five by five. Well, yes and no. Um, um, <laughs> you know, uh, live credit card and FedEx, I'll have one here tomorrow morning. There you go. But, but um, mm-hmm. I, I want to look at it more closely um, before I decided, A, to refinish it, B, how to refinish it. Um, and we'll, we'll go from there. Yeah. They're usually magnesium, too. Well... Or I, I think should say it was, often magnesium. I, I don't think it's mag. I think it's uh, aluminum alloy. Okay. Um, um, some of them can be, but I don't. I don't think these are. Just because. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, while we're while we're sitting here talking, I'll research that too. Okay, you can report back. Moving on. So what here. else is going on in the world? Moving yeah. on here, I'm going to. There was some discussion on uh, on social media about whether I could do what I'm about to do, but I'm going to I'm going to uh, exercise my uh, pro- producer authority here and declare this an honorary off field landing of the week. Um, so uh, big news in the aviation world, or at least somewhat exciting news, if you will. Exciting is not quite the right word. Um, Harrison Ford had a little incident. Uh, a couple days ago, uh, in uh, in uh, Santa Ana, California, at uh, John Wayne Airport, which is a uh, John Wayne is a uh, it, it is a fairly active, I mean, a pretty active GA airport, but it is also an airline airport as well, uh, and uh, it's it's right there in Santa Ana, kind of just down the street from Disneyland. Uh, that's one of the reasons, uh, one of the destinations when people are headed for Disneyland. Um, it. Uh, um, Santa Ana, John Wayne has two runways, uh, a two zero left and right, and the corresponding um, other direction. Um, two zero right is uh, is the big runway uh, that airliners usually get. Uh, two zero left uh, is a smaller runway, and uh, and Harrison Ford was arriving there the other day in his Husky, I believe. Um, yep, and. And and we don't know all the details here, and so part of this is we're going to have to kind of like be respectful of of his situation. So, for some reason, um, he apparently became confused or disoriented or just saw the situation incorrectly, and ended up identifying a taxiway outside of these two runways as being two zero left, and ended up landing, uh, lined up with, and in fact landed on the taxiway, uh, in the process overflying uh, an airliner, which was uh, on the end of this taxiway waiting to taxi out onto the runways. And uh, and as you might imagine, um, it's kind of caused a, a little bit of a, of a, of a, uh, of a foo here in the aviation world. And... Uh, where uh, you know people there's a lot of conversation going on people who are less knowledgeable i would say um are 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 quite critical of harrison ford in this um a lot of other people myself included are slightly critical this was kind of a dumb mistake all right but it's it's a mistake that happens in my view and uh it's you know i personally think it will the you know, there ought to be consequences, but the consequences are not, you know, kind of capital punishment consequences. Well, like, we don't, we don't, we don't, let, let me. Yeah, jump in here. Yeah. What do you think? 
I think uh, we don't know a whole lot of anything. Uh, I've seen headlines, Harrison Ford crashes another airplane. That did not happen. No. no. I've, I've seen headlines, uh, Ford narrowly avoids hitting airliner. That did not happen. I don't think so. No, I agree. So, yeah, I, I'm, I'm, we don't, and, and the part, the problem is the, the, the general media just basically has no, uh, um, uh, competence in, in the, in, uh, reporting this kind of an event. So we don't know what happened. All we know is Harrison Ford, uh, whatever the hell airport it was, overfly airliner, land on taxiway. We don't know why. We don't know, uh, anything more than that. Um, so I'm uh, kind of reluctant to, to, you know, dive in and say, well, this, that, or the other thing. Um, if all of that is true, and if there were no other extenuating circumstances, and yada, 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 he's probably looking at a 709 ride. So what? Yeah. No, I, I, I agree. I actually think, I don't know what the possible levels of consequences are here. What I understand about a 709 ride is I think even that's too severe for what happened. If It, it could well be. Um, Maybe he's looking at a, 701, a 709, but I doubt it. I don't know. Yeah. It, it depends on what he says to say and um, um, you know, what the FAA thinks about the whole, uh, the whole uh, severity of the event, whatever. Mm-hmm. David, what do you think? I think it's much ado about something that didn't happen. Yeah. Uh, yes. He incorrectly landed on a parallel taxiway, to the, parallel to the runway he was instructed to land on. If you look at some of the photos uh, that have been run, uh, looking at that runway from his perspective, you can barely see the numbers 20L, or hmm. the... the, the down there because it's on white concrete mm-hmm. and then the runway is black beyond that point mm-hmm. that's usually my clue that that's an, a runway the black stuff because you don't get that on taxiways that's from airplanes touching down and leaving rubber behind uh, he cleared the seven, the uh, 737 that was on the uh, taxiway at the end of that taxiway he landed on by I've heard 150 to 175 feet Right. Okay, that's a violation of separation standards. Uh, well, but not a not, what, not a biggie. What separation standard did he violate? Well, it would have been a violation for the instrument flight plan that the airliner was going to be on, and the controllers would have had a fit over it as they have done. But let's put this in perspective. First off, airline pilots have done this. Yeah. Hell, airline pilots have landed at the wrong bloody airport. Right. right. Yeah. Uh, nobody was hurt. Nothing got bent. Everybody walked away. Uh, I can see the FAA sending him a letter. Uh, it, it, you know, after the the, the expected police call, a tower. Um, my lawyer, my aviation lawyer, would say, "Do not call the tower. Make them get a hold of you." Uh, but that's another story. Right. The worst I could see happening to him is having to visit with a safety counselor and agreed a, a couple of hours of remedial with a ground instructor and an hour's worth of air work. Right. That's, and that's what I think would be a good, a good, you know. And, and, and that's, that's not 
capital punishment. Right. What bugs me beyond the language I'm supposed to use on this yeah. is the attempt to tie all this together because he had an engine failure and landed on a golf course uh, because he had a hard landing in his uh, Bonanza and mm-hmm. I think scraped the tail because he had a hard landing in a helicopter. Uh, a friend of mine who's flown with me many times, who used to be an active pilot himself, once asked my late wife why she thought it might be that so many little incidents seemed to happen while I was flying. And Annie's response was, because he flies a lot. Yeah. <laughs> you know, when you're, flying a, when you're flying 150 hours a year, things may break. We were in IMC when a when a generator failed. That did not make the news because we got expedited handling. We didn't have to call for. Uh, we didn't have to declare an emergency. They vectored me to VMC. The landing was uneventful. I put the gear down 50 miles away from the airport to make sure that I didn't have to use some manual ex- extension procedure to do that because that's going to add a whole bunch to the work when I get on the ground. Uh, was flying a rented 150 when one of the uh, valves, one of the valve rockers seized. So we lost 25% of our four cylinders, and we diverted back and made a safe landing. Uh, Kid a bird, didn't hurt the windshield, killed the bird, filed a report. Uh, Had a gear up landing, my fault. Did the remedial, never happened again. Mm-hmm. Uh, when you fly a lot, the odds of one of these little mechanical problems or of you making a minor mistake increase. Mm-hmm. If you're flying 50 hours a year, your odds of making a mistake probably go up because you're not flying enough to be really good and smooth and everything be instinctive like when you fly more. I was averaging 150 hours a year for about 10 years. Uh, my low year was 100. My high year was 265. Uh, when you fly a lot, oh, and I flew a lot of airplanes for magazine articles. And, you know, once in a while, a factory demonstrator would have something happen, like the tachometer failing or the uh, uh, HSI going haywire or the DG just stopping. Just stopped. Wouldn't mm-hmm. wouldn't turn when we did. None of these are headline making things because they all ended well. Just as Harrison Ford's incident, and that's what this is—an incident. Right. So ended think, well. Everybody walked away. Yeah. So I think Industry. we're in agreement that this is a, you know, go easy on Harrison Ford. I guess. Is well, it's not so much a go easy. It's just a, it's almost a nothing burger. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Exactly. Except that it's Harrison Ford. That's the problem. Except here. that it's Harrison Ford. Right. And, and uh, again, you know, he didn't have a crash. It's not an accident. Um, just just uh, Sierra Tango Foxtrot uniform. <laughs> if Jack, if yeah. Jack, Jeb, or Dave had done the same thing in, in our personal airplane and landed on a parallel taxiway and overflew an airliner... You know, first off, I'd want to slap myself around it. Why that airliner there was a clue for me to to reject that landing and come back around for another try. But if it had happened to us, I doubt that it would have even made the local newspaper. Right. 
let alone the national news, but because it's Harrison, uh, who's very visible as a, as a pilot, you know, he's active with EAA, he's been active with the Young Eagles, he's had other publicized incidents and accidents, but because he's a movie star, yeah, the world goes haywire. Well, the the vibe is the vibe is he's not a good pilot, and that's just very very far from the from the I case. I don't believe that. No, I agree. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That, yeah. I don't see yeah. any evidence of that. I, I right. I, you know, I see somebody who flies a lot and thus is exposed to a lot of situations. Right. And who also has a very bright light shining on him. And right. Exactly. Exactly. So, okay. All right then. Moving on again here. Um, this next item is, there's nothing controversial about this. I, I just thought it was interesting. Um, this is an article from AvWeb, uh, San Francisco Class Bravo Airspace Changes Proposed. So um, I, all I know about this is what I've read in this article, and as, as I, as, if I'm reading it correctly, um, because they want to let the airliners come into San Francisco at a slightly lower glide path, um, they've changed, they, they want to change around the airspace. Um, and I don't know, that's perhaps a very common thing. Um, the part of this, well, it obviously caught my attention because I used to be intimately familiar with this airspace uh, when I lived and flew out there. Um, and I was curious to see how this change would affect the, the, the air around uh, Palo Alto, um, the airport that I flew out of the most. Um, and uh, and it, it changes it very little, uh, as a matter of fact. The thing I found most notable about this is, uh, and I don't know if you guys are at all familiar with this, but you can see it from just looking at this article from two of the illustrations that are included, that um, they are really, really moving away from the the uh, legendary inverted wedding cake shape of, of this airspace, which I thought was kind of interesting. Um, they, uh, all the new, uh, uh, you know, I don't know what they're called, segments, areas, portions of this uh, class Bravo are, are, you know, irregular shapes, I would imagine, to conform to various requirements and, and whatnot. When I was learning to fly uh, out there in, in, uh, at Palo Alto and, and in the South San Francisco Bay Area, um, one of the things that, that a lot of pilots talked about was the fact that, th- that there had been a pilot, I don't want to call it an uprising, but um, there, a lot of pilots had pushed back when they were creating the what was then called the ARSA, the, the Class Charlie, um, around San Jose, um, because they wanted the, 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 the uh, Class Charlie airspace, as we call it now, they wanted it to um, not be 100% based on vectors and distances from VORs. Right. Uh, they, they wanted it to relate to visible things on the ground. Um, the notion being that the only pilots, not the only, the pilot who mostly cares about this airspace uh, is the VFR pilot. And, mm-hmm. and they're navigating mostly according to, uh, 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 you know, obviously things they see on the ground and that sort of thing. And, and, they, and this pilot group apparently had some success in getting the uh, Class Charlie design uh, adjusted so that various um, border lines were along interstate highways, things like that. Um, and uh, Well, that, that, when that was being debated, there were people at the FAA that assumed that every airplane had all the avionics you could ever want, including DME, right. distance measuring equipment, in which case that idea would not be all that nonsensical. But the majority of airplanes do not have DME. Right. 
and Except pilots who for need, the ones that have GPS now, and that's de facto DMA. Right. So, and the pilots who are most worried about busting. I mean, there's a safety issue for sure, but the regulatory sure. issue, the issue of not busting these airspaces, are is mostly a concern for pilots who receive relatively little training on how to identify solely by instruments these these locations. That's true. Uh, um, and so that was the argument: is make some of these lines line up with with ground-based reference points. And, right. uh, and well, looking did. at the uh, comparison of the, uh, the the proposed airspace, the existing airspace, uh, it looks like somebody fell on the wedding cake. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's kind of kind of falling apart and. Uh, uh, and I don't know, I haven't really analyzed this deeply, but I, it, it seems to me likely that that's a little bit of what they've done here, um, is that they've, uh, they've, they've gone above and beyond to, to not go to these arbitrary wedding cake shapes, this layer cake, inverted layer cake shape. Well, and as we go more and more into an RNAV environment, which is where we had an RNAV and required navigation performance and all this uh, with GPS, thankfully, uh, it, it's not as uh, it's not as burdensome to have all this irregularity as it, as it, it might have been without GPS. Because now even a portable GPS or your iPad with GPS and four flight or Garmin Pilot or something can show you all this stuff and show you where you are on it. And so I noticed they even given uh, San Jose. A break in this change, in this proposed change, uh, going to remove the portion of the uh, SFO class Bravo that's currently on top of San Jose International, and that should make operations in and out of there a little bit easier. Yeah. But but folks, this is open for comment, and it's open for comment until March 16. So, uh, particularly encourage folks in the Bay Area to make yourselves familiar with this and chime in. It's your right. Yeah, yeah. And one thing that you're not seeing here, and again, I'm not intimately familiar with this airspace any longer, but uh, there's all, there are two Class Charlies in and under this, uh, this Bravo, um, the San, San Jose one that you refer to and an Oakland one as well. Um, and so I, I... Yeah, it doesn't look like Oakland's going to get much relief out of this. Yeah. Anyways, it's all pretty interesting. I mean, is is this kind of thing happening around the country? Again, I don't, I don't follow it very much. But are 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 these Bravos? Are these kinds of airspace becoming more customized to the local terrain and conditions, or or, or is this an exception? Uh, do you think? There's there, there's there's. Go ahead, Jeb. No, you please. <laughs> no, David, you were first. That was me gasping, not Jeb. No, I was trying to figure out how to put this. This isn't an everyday occurrence. Changing Bravos by its nature is complicated enough. But the catalyst to this is spreading around the country. Mm -hmm. This idle uh, flight idle power descent. Uh It's been in use in the Ohio River Valley for years now. Because UPS participated in the uh, uh, ADSB experiments and, were, uh, and, and the WASP navigation and stuff that was done in Alaska uh, and in the Ohio River Valley. 
And one of the benefits that UPS developed with uh, some of the avionics maker in the FAA is an ability for their navigation systems to communicate with airplanes in front of and behind them mm-hmm. and adjust their pitch setting for a targeted airspeed. And they basically start their approach on a normal day about 30 miles northwest of Indianapolis, Indiana, and are able to do a constant descent, low power glide all the way to Louisville, Kentucky, and land at Louisville International, that's Sierra Delta Foxtrot, burning almost no fuel, relatively speaking and increasing the uh, uh, number of airplanes that they can put on the runway in an hour up to the runway acceptance rate for the, for the runways that mm-hmm. they use. So they save fuel, they save time, uh, and it's much quieter because my buddy Tom out there lives under one of the two approaches that they use to Louisville International. And they come over his house at about 2,500 feet yeah. On this glide into Louisville International, which is about 13, 14 miles from this house. And you can barely hear them. Yeah. Uh-huh. I mean, it's, it is a major improvement in a reduction in, in, in sound level and a huge fuel savings for these guys. And it ends this process of them stepping down to an altitude and leveling off and stepping down to an altitude and leveling off. Because every time they do that, they have to arrest their descent, add power, fuel flow goes up. So... I wouldn't be surprised to see these kind of airspace proposals, changes, changes proposed for other Class Bs where they have a lot of traffic that is capable of using that technique. Interesting. Yeah, yeah very, very good observation. Um, the, the only other thing I would add is if you look at the numbers, you look at the altitudes involved here on this map uh, on, on AvWeb, uh, it is an inverted wedding cake in that um, the, the center surface area um, is in fact in the center uh, and there are different elevations as you spread outward from that center. Um, it's not circular, it's not uniform, uh, but the basic uh, uh, inverted wedding cake uh, um, shape and, and uh, design uh, are still there. Yeah, it's just, yeah. It's just not nicely circular the way it's it's the it's like it, it, it's it's like it would look after Andy Warhol got hold of it <laughs> exactly it's a little it's a little Picasso esque is what it yes. is yes right? Picasso esque that's very good yeah so well and it intrigues me that they they had, do not in their proposal uh, seek to raise the ceiling of the uh, San Francisco class Bravo above the current ten thousand feet mm-hmm. so. Uh, yeah. Okay. That's all that's all good. Pretty interesting. Yeah, pretty interesting. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um one more thing before we uh as we start to reach the end of our allotted time here. Um th- there's been some confusion and some frustration and borderline anger on the subject of basic med recently. Not because of the basic med thing, but because of a uh, um a uh 
I don't know what the right word is, uh, but uh, but a uh, thing that the new presidential administration put in place it's to call an executive order. Thank you. Well, yeah, right. Uh, but uh, this one in particular had to do with putting a lot of of uh, pending regulation on hold until it could be reexamined. And everyone thought that this was the thought that this was going to result in basic med being delayed beyond the expected May first implementation implementation date. Um, but um, maybe it's turning out that's not the case. David, have you been tracking this? Yeah, uh, because that was one of the first things that popped into my mind when I read about the president's uh, early flurry of executive orders. Uh, that, Depending on how the executive order was written, and uh, confessing that I didn't have a high degree of confidence that the people writing it actually understood how the, this process works in Washington quite yet, uh, that that could throw a monkey wrench into the effective date of basic med. But when I looked up the executive order online, there were exceptions in there, and one of the exceptions was for uh, regulatory changes that were uh, had been through the process and were in a process of being implemented or were being ordered by Congress mm -hmm. and had been signed into law by the president. This actually fit under both those exceptions. So the May 1 effective date is still good. Yes, it seems like it is. Yeah. Oh, well, that's what the uh, FAA is saying. That's been confirmed by others from the White House and from lawyers reading the executive order. So, uh, I suspect that that's probably going to stand. What I've been surprised about is the level of animosity that I've heard about the basic med structure itself. <laughs> well, we did talk about this last episode. I don't know if there's anything new about on that subject. I know a lot of people were were disappointed with the reality of what basic med has turned out to be as opposed to some of the dream proposals over the years. Right, and I think we flogged that horse, horse yeah, well and, enough and I think, last time. I don't think there's any – is there anything new on that subject? Um, it's just, you know – Basic med is, is yeah. well, I mean, I think we all agreed that it's a pretty good thing. It's not quite as, I don't know what the right word it's is. It's not, not as easy as the driver's license for light sport, which was what so many people were hoping for. Uh, on the other hand, it's far more generous than the proposal right. for the driver's license med. And... Uh, the, the big question now seems to hinge, and the big debate seems to hinge on whether any doctors will sign this paper. Yeah. And, and I, I, we don't know yet, but I, my guess is they will. And uh, well, I've already talked to two doctors who said have. they will, and two doctors who said they wouldn't. Oh, really? Okay. Oh, that's and very the, interesting. And the doctors who said that they would already signed paperwork like this for truck drivers. Exactly. Right. That's that was my point a, a while back. And as well. the yeah. doctors who said they wouldn't won't even sign stuff like this for a kid's medical to play sports in high school. Ah, right. Okay. So we're talking about a difference in uh, how conservative or liberal they, uh, they view their liability question. Well, and instead, some of that's driven, admittedly, by the kind of uh, uh, malpractice insurance the doctors have. Yeah, I mean, it could be that. Or, I mean, to be more generous with the doctors, it could be simply that some doctors are more familiar with what this all means and, and how it all fits together. And, and as a result, are willing to sign the papers as opposed to some who are not. You know, as, as I mentioned, I mean, my, my primary care physician also 
does these truck driver, you know, DOT uh, exams. And so he's familiar with what it all means and what, you know, what the ramifications are and whatnot. And although I have not asked him yet about about this particular letter, um, I'm, I'm optimistic that he'll be, you know, assuming I'm, you know, past the bar. Past the bar is that there, you know, um, <laughs> assuming I'm healthy enough, which I think I am, um, he'll be willing to sign this because he has some context. Um, Basically, so. you know, don't show up having just come from the bar, <laughs> right? <laughs> well, okay. and you know, yeah, if you look at the reality of aviation accidents involving medical events. The prospects of being sued for an accident where a medical event was found to be a causative factor are probably somewhere way below the odds of being hit by lightning or being blown up by a terrorist. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. right. Yeah. So basic med, uh, we have every, every expectation that the May 1st date is still going to happen. And uh, as a result, if you're one of those folks, you should be getting all your other ducks in a row so that you can go flying on May 1st. And, uh, and the, uh, the uh, basic med uh, Q&A that the AOPA put on under basic med, what is a covered aircraft, is really helpful because there is some information in there that kind of tracks in the, along the same lines as uh, the regulations on light sport aircraft. For example, if you had an airplane that would have been legacy eligible as a light sport aircraft, but through an STC, you got a new gross weight increase that took it out of LSA, you cannot take it back and make it light sport eligible. Uh, if an aircraft is capable of seating seven I don't think taking one of the seats out makes it eligible, but that's what this article answers. Stuff like yeah. that. So, not not surprisingly, AOPA seems to be doing some good work um, in in providing us with analysis and tools for uh, for. Yeah. I'm sure. E- I'm sure EAA is also. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, Shout outs. What do we got here? Um, I, I'm going to go first. Uh, just a real, This is not exactly a shout-out, but I just figured I'd drop it in this part. I, I, and I've done this before, but I just want to renew my apology to you guys. It's funny because... W- w- so when we, when we do this podcast, um, I, I, I try very hard to listen to everything that's happening because you're supposed to listen, and it's only polite, and it's smart, and whatnot. But I have a lot of other things going on. I'm trying to plan things. I'm trying to like you know read the, the list and figure out what's next and understand what the the segue is and so I, I, I sometimes my mind you know strays away from the the conversation and as a result I oftentimes miss jokes that you guys make all right and and I did this the other day I think I did this in the last episode and I can't remember what it was now David but uh, but but you made some little joke and I didn't hear it at the time and I just kind of rushed on by you as if I was like trying to stomp on what you said you know or trying to whatever and that's not what I was doing um, I just missed it I just totally went over my head or or whatever. And uh, it was only when I was doing post-production that I heard it and I laughed. And, I, and then I thought, oh, my gosh, what it, it sounds like I was blowing him off. And I wasn't. I wasn't. So my apologies to you guys for occasionally missing some things that you say. Um, I al- almost always laugh at them in post-production. Take my word for it. <laughs> so anyways. Maybe, maybe we should do a podcast of your post-production. 
Well, yeah. Well, we did that. <laughs> so we just recently, uh, this is a teaser for people who are not currently uh, in the uh, $3 uh, per episode or greater Patreon reward uh, uh, level. Um, the, the reward level folks who get the After Show podcast. Uh, for the last couple of episodes of the After Show, it's not been an After Show. We've actually cut together um, sort of all the outtakes, if you will, or all the be, all the backstage talk um, as we uh, we occasionally pause during the podcast to all the blowing snow. Yeah, well, you know, and uh, and uh, I've heard from a couple of the uh, the reward level Patreon folks who said they really loved that one. You know, and we kind of threw it together because we sort of forgot to do the after show that time. And I said, well, I'll just cut together. This is the one where Jim uh, Goldman was our guest. And uh, and so you know the the little bit of uh, of a podcast magic we do here is that in the podcast it sounds like he just kind of casually arrives and we slide into the conversation with him. But what actually happens is we stop and call him on the telephone and talk with him for a few minutes and get get organized and and then we pick it up and I edit it all together. Well, the after show episode contained all of that backstage if you will or all that outtake or whatever's conversation and uh and and a number of the after show people said that was cool we liked listening to that so so if you're if you're not one of the after show one of the uh, reward level patron patreon patrons um you missed a thing that apparently is fun i don't know i don't know how i got into that um but I apologize for not laughing at your jokes i laugh at them later on i believe me i promise well you know some of them just aren't funny. <laughs> no, but see, if I thought you made a joke, I would laugh anyways because it's only polite. <laughs> what other shout-outs do you guys have? Maybe, maybe we can figure out a way to just send a text say uh, to each other saying, all right, I'm going to tell a joke here real quick, Jack, so laugh when I do it. <laughs> yeah, right. No, <laughs> that's we, why, do, we could do it that way. That's why we need to turn this into a video phone call so that we can see each other. And you know, yeah. one of us could be waving. There could be a hand signal, all right? Um, probably not one that's, that's you know, family-friendly. but there'd be because, af- because after working on the bridge all day, I really want a picture of me on the internet. <laughs> yeah, but I'm sure I'm re- I'm pretty sure that the uh, the listeners do. So, anyways, um, that's enough of this. Let's move on. But yeah, uh, shoutouts. You got any shoutouts? What do you got? <sighs> do I have any shoutouts? Um, no, at this stage. <laughs> David. No, I I, I I can steal one of Dave's. Yeah, um, steal one of mine, please. Um, I'll steal the, the second. One. I'll steal the first one. Uh, happy seventieth birthday to drumroll, please, the National Business Aviation Association. Um, yeah. Seventy seventy years ago, in uh, so that would have been nineteen forty six. I'm sorry, nineteen forty seven. Um, the organization was formed. I think it was like, like the Corporate Aviation Operators Association or something like that initially. Yeah. yeah. But uh, it soon became, um, and in fact, the National Business Aircraft Association. Um, and um, it's been maybe 15, 20 years uh, they changed aircraft to aviation uh, because it, in fact, is, is about much more than uh, just business aviation, business aircraft, I should say. Um, so, uh, congrats NBAA, uh, we both, uh, uh, Dave and I have contacts and, and histories associated with the organization. Um, uh, glad to see there's uh, going, probably going stronger than ever. And, uh, 
hopefully they'll be around just as long as we will be. Yeah, very nice, very cool. Congratulations yeah. to them, and and uh, a big a big percentage of the life of aviation they've been around. So yeah, that's yeah, right. Very very cool. David, what do you got? Well, this is another one of my. Uh, it's good to see young people doing this. Mm-hmm. But a uh, young man who last year at age 16 with a flight instructor uh, flew from coast to coast and back again. Mm-hmm. 8,000 mile cross country at age 16. Uh, spent two weeks doing it. He'd been training for this for for years. His name's Isaiah Cooper. He's now 17. He set his sights on uh, a a career in aviation. And I just was enthralled by the young man's story, how how much he uh, sacrificed to get into this, the work that he did to to, uh, get his license. And now that he's 17, he can do that. And Funding and tackling a cross-country trip of that magnitude is no small thing for a veteran pilot. Uh, So for a young man of 16 to do that, the flight planning, raising the money, uh, way to go. Uh, Isaiah Cooper, uh, and the claim to fame is he's the youngest black pilot to fly across the U.S., Mm-hmm. Very cool. Very cool. Yeah. And uh, congratulations to him, Isaiah. We wish you all the luck in the world with your future, and uh, look forward to seeing you on a flight line somewhere someday. Absolutely. Yeah. You bet. You bet. Well, thank you, boys. I appreciate it. It's always fun to get together and uh, and talk airplanes with you. And uh, um, I uh, we'll get together again soon to do it again. Um, I wanna... <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> Segways are us. Yeah, I know. So, soon, right. being, See, soon being a relative This is typically thing. the area where I'll fix it up in post. I don't know whether I will or not. Anyways, Dave Higdon. Uh, Dave is an aviation photographer, an aviation journalist, and the U.S. editor for London's Av Buyer magazine. Dave, what have you been working on? Well, tomorrow, Friday, uh, the 17th, and I know this won't come out for uh, uh, before then, but when this does come out, I encourage folks to uh, look at my business aviation blog for uh, February 17th on avbuyer.com where I uh, try to dismember the uh, new and very aggressive push by the airlines and some other groups to uh, take the air traffic control system out of the hands of the FAA and put it in a, uh, a, they say, uh, an independent but not not private and uh, quasi public corporate corporation. Uh, but when you look at the uh, proposals that have been floated, the, the boards of directors that are always proposed barely have room at the table for general aviation and business aviation, and that's what they're after again now. And uh, this past week or last week, the uh, airlines and uh, uh, got a sit down uh, breakfast with uh, the new president who, as a lot of people have heard, is very anxious to make his mark in improving infrastructure, which is spending that his lawmakers have completely opposed for most of the last 20 years. Now he wants to do a trillion dollars worth of infrastructure investment, and airports are part of it. Hats off to the airports. Leave 
air traffic control where it is. It's working. It's the best system in the world. We are advancing in this, the satellite era, and um, ADSB is what's getting us there. So, mm-hmm. And that's your Avbuyer blog for, what, February 17, you say? 17, yep. Very cool. Very cool. Yeah, let me just simply add that um, this, this ATC privatization is going to be the um, political or legislative issue confronting aviation this year. Um, and it could come up relatively quickly, um, but it's it's going to be the the political legislative challenge uh, the industry faces this year. Uh, not all of the industry is going to see eye to eye, uh, but um, watch watch this space. We'll have more on this as as uh, developments occur. But uh, um, it's it's going to be a deal. Keep your keep your senator's phone number on speed dial, and the same for your U.S. House of Representative member. Mm-hmm. Uh, what stopped this the last time it was uh, gaining momentum was that it never got to the House floor because there was insufficient support there, and there was even less support for the uh, for this scheme in the Senate. And most of those people who opposed it the last time are still in the Senate. Yeah. So that'll be productive ground for us to uh, keep uh, the airlines from taking over the airspace. Yeah. And, and those, those of you who are, who are interested in this issue and, and are proactive in this and, for example, may have uh, uh, reached out to your elected officials last year or the last time this came around um, and, uh, you know, might want to write a note now say, you know, thank you for, you know, uh, opposing this, or thank you for your interest in this last year. It's kind of come back, and here's how I feel. Yeah. It might go. be a good time for that. So, David, where can people find information about uh, this blog and other things you do on the internet? Uh, com for my work at uh, Avbuyer Magazine and my weekly business aviation blog. Uh, AEA.net for my work with uh, Avionics News Magazine. Uh, I am real Higdon on the Twitter machine, as Jeb would put it. Uh, and otherwise, if you're, you know, you you got nothing better to do and want to read some old stuff, just Google Dave Higdon and aviation. Mm-hmm. And you need to make it and aviation because there's a golf writer and a theoretical physicist who publish a great deal, also named Dave Higdon. Hate it when that happens. Hate it when that happens. And Jeb Burnside, thank you, Jeb. Jeb is a uh, freelance aviation writer and editor, serving as the editor-in-chief of Aviation Safety Magazine. What have you been working on, Jeb? Uh, a bridge. <laughs> a bridge. Uh, <laughs> We're building a bridge. <laughs> building a bridge. Rebuilding a bridge. Um, well, let's see. Got the uh, March issue of Aviation Safety in the can a week or so ago. I'm very uh, happy that that's over with. Um, but at the same time, I'm gearing up for the April issue. Mm-hmm. So... Uh, uh, that's going to be fun. Um, getting ready for um, uh, Sun and Fun in April, of course. Yeah. Getting ready for the uh, Aircraft Electronics Association's uh, annual meeting in uh, March in New Orleans. Uh, I'll be there for that uh, and be doing their coverage um, for their magazine, Avionics News, just as, as uh, Dave contributes. And that's, of course, AEA.net. Mm-hmm. Um, Aviation Safety Magazine, of course, is a- a- aviationsafetymagazine.com. Yeah. And then, um, let's see. Twitter. Been, no, uh, the, the Twitter machine, of course, General Aviation News. Still doing a column there. Oh, yeah, that's right. Of course. And, and of course, the Twitter machine where I'm Burnside J. Very, very good. 
And I'm Jack Hodgson. I'm a private pilot, a freelance writer, and a new media producer. Uh, I'm uh, continuing to try and finish up uh, uh, re-editing and creating Volume 3 of the Around the Field Columns collection from from, uh, AirVenture back in the uh, uh, mid uh, 2000 aughts, uh, 2005, six and seven, I believe it is. Um, so that'll be, that'll be along sometime soon. Um, continuing to add to my uh, YouTube channel. Uh, if you're interested, uh, I've been posting, uh, uh, more trying to post a one every week, a, a new video over on YouTube. Um, this week I posted a, a relatively simple video, but a lot of people seem to be interested in it. Um, I basically, uh, just, uh, uh aimed my camera out the window when we were arriving. I, I did a job, the day job in uh, Dallas, um, recently, and uh, I flew into Dallas Love Field, which is one of my favorite big airports in America. Oh, mine too. Yeah, and uh, so I just aimed the aimed the camera out the window uh, on on the approach and and got some shots of the, the arrival. If you're on the on the uh, sort of north ish um, uh, or from the south runway, um, you go right over downtown Dallas, um, and you also go prior to going over down, downtown, you go over the Cotton Bowl, and so there's some sites, and so I I, I shot that video and kind of cleaned it up a little bit and I put that in the YouTube channel and that's the most recent thing that's there um, the thing I'm working on right now is collecting I shot a lot of, uh, of video um, at uh, at the Sebring show a couple weeks back and uh, uh, that will probably be the next one that will appear there perhaps about the same time uh, this this goes into our feed so you can uh, check out those uh, those uh, videos in my YouTube channel on YouTube you can find me on youtube.com slash user slash Jack Hodgson uh, you can sign Sign up for my uh, email newsletter to get a lot of information about things I'm working on and things I'm up to and notifications about new videos and whatnot. Um, you can uh, sign up for that over at jackhodgson.com. On Twitter, uh, you can follow me on twitter.com slash jackhodgson, uh, all one word there. And uh, learn more about me than you ever really wanted to know um, at jackhodgson.com. Big thanks to uh, Jeff Ward for all his help with the show notes and the forums and uh, putting things on the list this time. That was that was pretty cool. Uh, thanks to Mike Morgan, Royce Earl, Jim Goldman, and to the many other listeners who have created the UCAP disclaimer clips. Please support UCAP by making a repeating per-episode donation of any size via the online service Patreon. You can get all the details about this at patreon.com slash uncontrolled airspace. And if you're... Uh, uh, you're uh, 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 What's the right word? Um, if your pledge to uh, the podcast through Patreon uh, exceeds the $3 per episode limit, you get access to that after-show podcast that I was mentioning a few minutes ago. And while you're at it, you can go into the iTunes, you can give us a review, you can check off some stars, give us some thumbs-ups, all that stuff really helps. Please follow us on Twitter. Uh, the podcast itself is on Twitter at twitter.com slash class G airspace. That's all one word class and then the letter G and airspace. You never know what might turn up over there. And you can also listen to UCAP in the free section of Sporty's Pilot Shop's mobile app, Take Off, along with other podcasts and special Sporty's content. Content. Get your... My mouth is not... It's the beer. I've been drinking... I've been drinking uh, 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 New Belgium... Uh, fat tire amber ale. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> Easy for you to say. Yeah, no, it's not. It's not. Where do I leave <laughs> off? Get your UCAP hats, shirts, and other cool gear at the UCAP Swag Shop. That's at uncontrolledairspace.com slash store. And don't forget to check out the rest of the UCAP website. Ten and a half years worth of UCAP show notes and episode downloads. All there waiting for you. Last but not least, chat with us directly and with many of your fellow listeners at the uh, the uh, Coming Back to Life Uncontrolled Airspace Forums. All of that is at uncontrolledairspace.com. David, finally, were you going to say something? Go fly, because flying is not subtract. Time spent flying is not subtracted from your lifespan. It's like I'd never said that before. <laughs> and that's enough talking from all of us. Let's go flying. <sighs> I, I, I just have nothing to say to this. <laughs> nothing at all. Okay. <laughs> <laughs>